We're uh, going to begin a, a series in uh, Kings, the, the book of First Second Kings, next week. So today is a little bit of a preview, a little little taste of what it'll sort of be like. One of the things uh, a lot of secular people have a problem with when they when it comes to the Bible is they're like, "Well, this is just a crazy book filled with stuff that's impossible." It's like a bunch of, you know, fairy tales. And so as a result, like, we really shouldn't be paying attention to this. One of the interesting things that happens, though, is that when you start to read a, the, the Bible, you start to recognize that if, if, if anything, it absolutely 100% nails human beings. Like, it totally—there's no truer, more accurate uh, representation of humanity than you will find in the Bible, and especially the Old Testament. At our, at our best, at our worst, it's just honest. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why I, it inclines me to believe some of the stuff that's a little more out there. We don't see, you know, people walking on the water all the time, but the fact that, that the Bible is so amazingly, the way it pierces our hearts, gives me, gives me faith, gives me courage to believe that. And so uh, we got a lot of text today. We're in 2 Kings 5. Uh, this is the story of uh, Naaman the, the, the Syrian. So we're going to just bunch it and, and make some points as we go along. But I want you to just, just be attentive to the, the way in which this text gets human beings. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. Aram, uh, another word for Syria. If you don't know, Syria is basically due north of Israel, a little bit to the east, but mostly due north. Um, and he's a, and, and Syria and, and Israel are enemies. I mean, well, they're at peace right now, but at any moment they could be enemies. And they have fought in the past. So uh, it's very odd that we're talking about one of their, their best military commanders. Uh, he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Uh, if you recall, great man is Old Testament language for something like successful, Right? It's the kind of language of, of, hey, because of some good character qualities, this person has done really well in life. Okay, so great man. Job was a great man. Uh, Abraham, great man. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's not like, it's, all, it's close almost to like how we might think about, um, you know, like really great famous people. Where if you got met them, you might be a little nervous. Like, oh, wow, I can't believe I'm finally meeting Justin Bieber. He's a great man. Uh, he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Again, if, you, uh, if you've grown up in the church, you might have heard that leprosy is uh, a Hansen's disease. That's the disease that um, it infects your, your skin and eventually uh, causes body parts to fall, decay and fall off. That is not uh, what leprosy is in the Bible. It's actually a skin disorder. Um, it just, over the, over the years, mistranslations happened. But if you're curious about it, you can look in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. It defines what leprosy is pretty extensively. And if you're wondering, you can see this. Is this the right side? My white patch? Is this the white hair? Yeah. Okay. There's a little bit over here, but it's mostly here. Uh, I am starting to get, like, actual legit gray hairs. <laughs> so, <laughs> so middle, middle age is happening. Um, but this right here is not actually uh, gray hair. This actually, if you, if I, if I shave completely, which I don't like to do, but if I shave completely, this part of my face has uh, no skin pigment. It's uh, so if I if I were to get tanned, impossible. But if it happened, um, all of my face would be tanned except for like right here. And in fact, if you see pictures of me like ten years ago, the white part was like all along the side of my face. It like moved around, and then now it's kind of just settled right here. That is, I would be a very good candidate for the biblical definition of leprosy. 
uh, skin disorder. And the reason the skin disorders were a problem in, ancient, in the ancient world is because it reminded people of the way that bodies look after they die. Corpses begin to have, uh, the flesh begins mottled, and it starts to get kind of icky. And so a person who's in the, the, the fullness of health shouldn't have that. And so people who, who had these disorders on the skin, they were kind of kept at arm's length. So even though this guy has it all, he's great, he's rich, uh, he's famous, even though he has it all, people still keep him at arm's length because they're afraid that if, if they're too close to him, they might catch a bit of death. Now bands of raiders from Syria, Aram, had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. Again, Israel and Syria, not friends. Uh, in Naaman's own house, there's a, a girl, a slave, that, that has been captured, kidnapped from Israel, and serves her. However, she seems to really like Naaman, so she says to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. I, uh, my, my, my dear departed father was a huge fan of musical theater. And as a child, he would torture me on long car rides by playing uh, musical after musical after musical, um, uh, first in tapes and then on CDs. And, and as soon as I was free, like when I was 17 or 18, I completely rejected that, as any sane person would. And so none of my, I, I, anything after like 2000, like Hamilton, Wicked, I don't know that stuff very well. I, I mean, I'm aware of it, but I, I don't. But anything from like 1950 to 1995, Oh, I know it by heart. I can't, I can't. The only way you could get it out of my head would be the gun. Like, it's, it's stuck. Um, one of my dad's favorite uh, musicals, and one that I actually do enjoy, is uh, Les Miserables. Um, it's uh, the story of a, a failed uprising uh, in revolutionary France. Um, it deals with all the great themes of redemption, of, of salvation, grace, and law. It's a, it's a fascinating, it's based on the, the novel by Victor Hugo. But in the play, in, um, in the various ways that it's been done, uh, if you do watch the movie, though, you're going to have to plug your ears when Russell Crowe sings because that guy just doesn't have it. Great actor, love him to death, master and commander, but oh my gosh. Uh, in the movie, one of my favorite characters is Gavroche. And Gavroche, is a, he's, he's a little boy. He's maybe he could be as young as like 10 years old. Like, I don't know. But he's a young kid. And uh, Gavroche calls himself one of the little people. And his, his whole thing is everybody, he's, he's a street rat, you know, born and raised in the streets. And he's aware of all of the, the highfalutin philosophers and the universities. And he's like, all that stuff, those big people, I got no time for that. I know the language of the streets. And if you underestimate me because I'm a little person, little not just in stature, but also in social position, you're missing out. I know more about the way the world works than all those big people do. And did you notice, did you notice that the one person in the opening of this text who has an actual idea about what's going on is a kidnapped slave? The very bottom. And the person who has no idea what's going on is a great, great man. We're going to see this dichotomy work through the rest of the text. That's the first thing your note sheets. God, uh, God loves to confound the great people with the little people. And the first thing we should ask ourselves is, by the Bible's definition, are we great people or little people? 
Remember, great people are the ones who are successful. Great people are the ones who've done well through hard work, sacrifice, courage. Little people are the ones uh, who haven't even had the opportunity to do that. So let's pay attention. All right, let's go on the text. Let's, let's, let's keep, keep going. Naaman went to his master, that's the king, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, the Syrian king replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So, so Naaman left, taking with him, and I, just because we don't know what talents or shekels are, I've just included like a translation so you understand, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. If you're wondering what that's worth, I did the math. And today, if you were to turn in 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold, you'd get 3.8 million USD. That's a lot of money. Don't know what the 10 sets of clothing are worth, but presumably something similar. Healthcare is real expensive in the ancient world. And the reason is, is that there's nothing more valuable than your health. And so if you can, you'd spend anything to get it. Isn't that funny what the, the king of Syria thinks? Instead of asking for a favor, right? He says, we're going to pay off the healthcare, the health, the, the doctors in Israel. 3.8 million. If that's what it takes to make you happy, name it. That's what I'm going to do. Immediately, what, that's what he goes to. He goes, I think money. Interesting. All right. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his skin disease. As soon as the king of Israel, also another great man, read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to be cured of his skin disease? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? It's an interesting response, right? I mean, look, first off, 3.8 million. That's great. And instead of being excited about that, he's terrified. Why? Well, you know, he's a politician. That's what his life is filled with. It's filled with big, important things, wars. And so he sees this and he's like, well, obviously I can't, you know, help this guy with his skin disease. So what he thinks the king of Syria has done is set him up to fail So that when Naaman goes back with his skin disease still intact, the king of Syria will have an excuse to come make war on Israel. Of course, this has nothing to do with the actual calculations going on, but that's how great people think. Great people don't think in terms of being sincere. We don't think, we think in terms of what? Of money, power, war. Ask yourself, what is it that you concern yourself with on a, on the regular, on a regular basis? All right. Uh, next slide, Marilyn. Um, did you see, uh, Meta this week? Meta, Facebook, the, uh, world's most horrible corporation. They, they were expected to make $27 billion in the first quarter or whatever. Guess what? They made 28 billion. A 3% increase beyond expectations. What happened? Immediately, stock rose 14%. Wow. Personally, I was like, I can't believe anyone would buy a meta stock. I mean, have you heard about the metaverse? It's like a total joke. It's basically, that's like the VR thing where they're basically taking billions of dollars and lighting it on fire. But hey, whatever. Don't ask me for stock advice, clearly. 
But that's the kind of thing I pay attention to. Isn't that weird? I'm not even invested in the stock market. And I'm like, oh, neat. I, I like the technically. Russia is going to recruit 400,000 soldiers for the Ukraine war. I'm, I'm not Ukrainian. I'm not Russian. I have nothing to do with either of those countries. Why am I interested? I think maybe the reason is that in my own mind, I think of myself maybe as one of the great people. And so like the king of Syria and like Naaman and like the king of Israel, I concern myself with great things, the important stuff, money, power, influence, war. So the next thing your note sheets, great people tend to assume life is about great things. The big stuff. We tend to spend our time thinking and planning and plotting about how to acquire these things. And so it's worth asking yourself the question, what occupies your thoughts? You can, I, I can tell you it's really easy to find out because um, whatever you use, Facebook or Insta or um, Google, like the Google News, Apple News, all you have to do to find out what you're interested in is just scroll on those things and see what it tells you you're interested in. Because it knows you better than you know you. Turns out I'm really interested in role-playing games and the Golden State Warriors. All right, okay. I know, Jerry, we got to get out of here quick because uh, it's 1230. I'm with, I'm with you, bro. Let's get this thing done. If you don't know, it's game seven of the, of the first round, Warriors and the Kings, which is embarrassing in itself, but whatever. All right, let's go back to this. Just, just be thinking, what, what, what is it that occupies? And let's go back to the text and see what happens. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent a message, why have you torn your robes? Have the guy come here and I'll show him there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, to, a messenger to say to him, go, wash yourself in the seven times on Jordan River and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Great news, right? That's not how Naaman takes it. Keep going. Naaman was very angry. He went away angry and said, I thought, I mean, how hard is this? He would surely come out to me, stand, call in the name of the Lord, wave his hand over the, the, the skin disease, and cure me of my, my leprosy. And, and, and what is this about the Jordan? Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, that's uh, his capital city, his home city, aren't they better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So it goes off in a rage. Why? What is he so upset about? Well, the first thing is, he's a big deal. I mean, Naaman is like, he's like a four-star general. When the four-star general comes to your house, the, the, at the least you can do is like, you know, answer the door. Did, did you notice that Elisha was like, oh, he's here? Great. You, go tell him this. And just... No respecter of the fact that Naaman's this great warrior, doesn't care that he's rich, doesn't care that he's famous, just sends a slave to go tell him what to do. And what do you tell him what to do? Go, uh, go to the Jordan. That, that may not mean a lot to us. Here's a, a map of ancient Israel, Samaria. Uh, Elisha's based in the capital city of Samaria, Samaria. 
Um, if you can't see it on the screens behind me, with the big red letters, Samaria, if you go just down a little bit, uh, that first dot is the capital city of Samaria. If you want to find out where the Jordan River is, you have to go east, and it's that big, long blue line on the right side of the screen. It, depending on the route that a Naaman has to take to get there, it would be between 30 and 70 miles, which to us isn't a big deal because we have cars, but they didn't, and so that was a little bit of an extra trip. N- never mind the fact that it was completely out of their way. Uh, where Naaman was supposed to go was back to Damascus, which is almost due north, due north and a little bit to the east of where Samaria is located. And so not only does Elisha not have the respect, the deference to meet him face to face, on top of that, he sends him to, and the, the Jordan River is pretty muddy if you've been there. I, I haven't been there, but I've heard. Dennis, Sally, it's, it's, okay. Yeah, so there's not much there. And my understanding is that it's, it, for this entire thing, it's never been like the nice, beautiful, you know, river that, you know, the Colorado River where you want to jump in. It's a little bit, ugh. So you can see why Naaman would be understandably a little bit offended. He's a great guy. It's next thing you know, she's great people tend to expect respect, deference, service from little people. How do you respond when you get bad service at the restaurant? <laughs> no tip. Jack, you are definitely a great man. <laughs> No tip. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, and, and and to be fair, like, I mean, that's their job, right? But at the same time, isn't it kind of weird that we just, like, I'm, I'm paying good money for this. Who are these little people? They have real lives. They shouldn't. They're here to serve. Hmm. So how does the story end? How does, what happens next? Naaman's servants went to him and said, his servants, again, my father, they call him. If the prophet had told you to do some, what, great thing, would you not have done it? Right? Like Naaman, if, if he had told you to go like fight the king of Egypt and like cut off his head, you'd have been all about that. Because you're all about like, you know, blowing yourself up. And, but, but, but just because he says something that's offensive to you, you're going to just, just, you know, not pay any attention, get mad? If you were willing to go down and, and, and fight and cut and kill, then, then how much more when he tells you, just, just wash, just be cleansed? Like, shouldn't you do it? So Naaman went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. There's an indi- um, the, the like that of a young boy, I think, means that uh, the age that we get, you know, the crow's, na- the cr- what are the crow's feet, the things that we get. It was almost like that, like, it was just like, you know, that, that amazing baby skin. So what does Naaman do? Naaman and all his attendants went back to, to Elisha. He stood before him and said, now I know there is, n- there is uh, no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept a gift from your servant. 3.8 million. The prophet 
not super in touch with economy, says, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not, not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Uh, there's a bit I've excised where Naaman, in, in an amazing gesture, asks if he can have um, two mules worth of the, the, the dirt of Israel so he can take it back. And when he prays, he can, he can put Israel's dirt um, down and kneel on it to pray to God as a, as a, uh, a way to show that, that he's now uh, a true believer in Yahweh. Go in peace, Elisha says. You see, Naaman comes from a world, and, and we do too, um, where it's expected that nothing's free. Everything has a price. <laughs> I remember we were uh, doing one of our little advertising things to, to Stony Brook a couple of years ago, and we had like, um, I don't know, it was like candy canes. It was like uh, Christmas time, and, the candy, and we were just giving the kids candy canes. And this one kid, kept coming back over and over, just get more and more candy canes. I was like, dude, how many of those are you really going to eat? He's like, that's not the point. I was like, what? He's like, nothing's free. You got to take advantage when it, oh. That kid was 10 years old. But the man of God and every person of God Understands or has to come to the understanding that God doesn't play favorites. God doesn't strike deals in the sense that we think about deals. When God gives a gift, it's free. There's no strings attached. It's not God saying, oh, I'm going to give you this, but I'm... Exp-. I mean, God does want things, in return, but, God, but God gives it free. There's In fact, God's gifts are so free that God is willing to pay the price for those gifts. God is willing to go to the extreme lengths to make sure that the gift comes with no strings attached. God is willing to do what? To become a human being, to live a life of poverty and wandering, to be tortured to death for blasphemy and sedition, to make sure that your eternity costs you nothing. Next thing you're notes, it's great people often have a hard time understanding that God's gifts are always free. Now, I think that this text is awesome because it does it does put a, like a dichotomy between you know the great people and and the little people, and it helps us think about if, if you know especially if we come from a class or an, or a background that might make us more into the great people thing to to be reflective about what that means um, for us. But the, 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 the thrust of the text is something, something different. What, what, is, what is being communicated? What's the most important lesson to learn, to understand about this text? Well, we're going to go back, and I, I just skipped over a couple of these, these really key moments. And then Jesus actually quotes this text uh, in Luke 4, and we're going to look at what he says. So, so going, going back, here's the first thing. Why does Elisha want to heal Naaman? He wants, he wants to, to, to do it so that the man will come and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. What that means is he's going to know, he's going to know that God is active and real and doing stuff in Israel. That God's got big plans. 
Syria is doing whatever Syria is doing. But God wants to show at least one person in Syria that this is where the action is. This is who I am. And if you want to serve a living, real, active God, this is the place to be. And the response of Naaman, we just skipped over it. I know now there's no God in all the world except in Israel. Now again, why do this? Why, what is God's point? Why worry about the, the, the people in Syria? Why worry about Naaman? If anything, they should be worried that Naaman, you know, the next season, the king is going to get mad and send him down to raid Israel again. Why help these people? Why is God interested in, in them of all? Why, why not, why not worry about the, the lepers, the people with skin disorders in, in Israel? That's exactly what Jesus said. Look at this. There were many in Israel with skin disorders in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian. Why? Did you see that movie, Jesus Revolution? I saw this. Usually the, the, the faith-based movies are super cringy. I'm like, Ugh, they're really preachy. Um, but my mom uh, was one of the hippie Jesus people in the 70s, 60s and 70s. I, you, didn't, did you, you didn't get actually baptized in the ocean by Chuck though, right? No, missed out on that. Had a regular baptism. But, but new like, you know, love song. Oh, didn't you like perform once at one of their... Yeah, you had a band that performed that the original Calvary Chapel. If you don't know Jesus Resolution, it's telling it tells the story of uh, of Chuck Smith, uh, Lonnie Frisbee, and then uh, the Harvest guy, Greg Laurie, um, in the late '60s, early '70s, um, kind of revolutionizing the way that the gospel go, went out in America. And the premise of the film is that there's this whole generation of people, the hippies, uh, who are dirty and smelly, and they've done all kinds of mind-expanding drugs. They're listening to the dirty rock and roll music, um, and they're really, really not choosing their, making good choices with the way that they use their bodies with each other. Um, and yet, and yet, God, they're searching for something, and, and God is the answer. That God, that Jesus is the answer to the thing that's calling most in their hearts. And the movie has this uh, this, this wonderful scene where, I mean, I like got a little choked up, but uh, so Chuck Smith, Kelsey Grammer is, you know, he's preaching at his church. And on one side, on this side is all the respectable people in suits, right? And, you know, they're, and on this side is all the weirdos, all the hippies with their long hair and their barefoot and they, and, uh, and, and Chuck Smith throws it down. He's like, listen, when Jesus came, he didn't, he didn't come for the people who had it together. He came for the people who were searching for something, who were broken. And so he says, we are not going to stop ministering to people, no matter what they look like, no matter how bad they smell. We are going to offer the gospel to them. We are going to offer the gospel to our enemies, to the outsiders. And some of the leaders of his church are mad, so like, 
like this one guy, and he like gets to his wife, come on. And she's like, they go, they, they step, they walk out the back. No hippies here. And then another guy follows suit. He, he stands up, he's like, grabs his wife, grabs his kids. Like, we got we got to go to a, one of those respectable churches filled with great people like us. And then this super old dude, like barely able to, oh, Mike, did you see the movie? Yeah, he was older than you. So <laughs> just crotchety old man. <laughs> Stay healthy, brother. I love you. All right. Um, this, this old, this old dude stands up and he's, and he's goes to the center aisle and he's going to, and then what does he do? He crosses the aisle and he sits between the two dirtiest hippies and he goes like this. And I, the, the moment just stunned me because I was like, it, it, it just, it was, it encapsulated everything that the heart of God is about. Like it ca- encapsulated everything where it's like, okay, you know, there's lots of, lots of great people who've got it all figured out. It's got like plenty of, plenty of great people. But, but what God's really after, what God's actually trying to do is to go find those enemies and those outsiders and like just, just hug the heck out of them. And to say, look, I don't know what um, the questions that you're asking exactly because we don't have a whole lot in common, but I do know that the answer is Jesus. And you're out there, you're searching for something in, in this world. You're searching for an identity. You're searching for uh, truth. You're searching for all these things. And, and what I'm telling you is that the world is gonna, it's gonna leave you deeply unsatisfied. In fact, it's gonna wreck you. In fact, what the real truth, the real satisfaction, the real solution is in Jesus. Jesus is the one who supplies your identity. Jesus is the one who loves you unconditionally. Jesus is the one who can take you and change you. And no, I don't care what you look like. And I don't care about your hair or your clothes. What I care about is your heart. And I care about you becoming, as our verse of the month says, a, a, one of God's workmanships, one of God's pieces of art created in Christ Jesus to go and do good. That's what you're called to. That's your mission. That's your life. That's the answer to the question that you have been looking for your whole life. The last thing you know, she is God never stops chasing the outsiders. And the question is this, who are the outsiders now? Thank God the hippies are gone, or at least mostly gone. But what, I'm not kidding, they did smell really bad. Like I don't. But we do have outsiders and we do have enemies in this culture. Who's too icky to chase for us. Is it the lesbian, gay, bisexual community? Is it the non-binary trans community? Is it people who are on the other side of the political aisle? Next question. (laughs) This is the one, man. How much do they have to become like us 
before it's okay for them to be at Coast Bible Church. I don't know. We have to have standards, right? We can't just let everything go to anarchy. And yet, at the same time, we're called to chase outsiders. And last, what does it say to people when they come in here? When someone's new or visiting here, no matter what their background, whatever environment they've come from, What is it that we say to them? What is it that our presence and the way we look and the way we act, what does it say? Because what it should be saying is, I don't care who you are. You are more loved by God than you can possibly imagine. And what do we have to do to make that a reality. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, thank you for chasing us while we were outsiders. Thank you that when we were dead in our sins that you made us alive in Jesus. God, thank you that you use little little people to show up the great people to humble and to change them. God, if we need to be humbled, if we need to be transformed, if we have grown too big for our britches, bring little people to come and show us the truth about you. And God, may all of us share with the experience of naming the Syrian of being cleansed by you. Let there be no great or small no rich or poor, no colors, but in every single way, may we all be equalized by the blood of Christ, the forgiveness and redemption we have in him. And may we proclaim that love and that redemption loudly, boldly in everything that we do here. God, reveal us, reveal to us the outsiders that we gotta chase and show us how to do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.